Welcome to the Extraordinary Creatives Podcast. I'm Kerry Hand, your host and creative coach. Join me each week as we delve into the journeys of creative trailblazers, aiming to inspire you to embrace your creativity and chart your own unique path. This week's episode is with the incredible Julie Verhoeven, artist, designer, educator, who's exhibited at the ICA and Freeze Art Fair in London, worked with fashion designers John Galliano and Martin Sitbon, and collaborated with brands from Louis Vuitton, Versace, Mulberry, Uniqlo to Mac. She's been a tutor on the MA fashion course at Central St. Martin's since 1996 and teaches on the Women's Wear Programme at the Royal College of Art, where she's also an honorary fellow. She speaks openly about hating school, how not getting into art college lit a fire inside her and what working with notorious fashion designers taught her. I hope she inspires you to follow your own curiosity and not let being shy or different hold you back. Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us on the Extraordinary Creators podcast. Happy Friday. Yeah, and you too. And thanks for having me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. You know, I've been a huge fan of your work for a long time. So it's especially exciting for me today to see you. For those listeners who can't see um, the wonderful Julie, her outfit is, how would you describe it, Julie? Well, I felt like I was going on stage. Ah. So you... Yeah, and I've never had the opportunity to wear this. It's like a medieval uh, fancy dress. <laughs> do I do like a glove puppet? Yeah, it's beautiful. I like that. Like you were um, one of those wind-up toys then. A medieval, glorious lime green velvet with lemon sort of ruched uh, round the neck. And uh, what are those silver silver things um, called? Sort of giant rivets, I suppose. Yes, giant rivets. Yeah. And... and um, of course, it's too small, so it's gaffer taped on. And I thought it's quite funny because I'm just quite often on stage. You are like gaffer taped in, aren't you? Sort of yes. Well, it's all yeah. smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Yeah. On stage, and yeah. uh, I got my way through art college with a glue gun because I never got very good. <laughs> I never got very good at making. I'm not very good at detail. Let's put it that way. So it's an outfit that is gorgeous to my eyes. And uh, as is your beautiful stage set that you've created for us, which is really fantastic introduction to your work there, Julie, because it's a collage of sorts. Mm-hmm. It's like a screen that you've created behind you. Well, I don't know. I liked, I like Zoom. I like the sort of dimension. And I find, I like the absurdity of it all the fact that we're sitting in these little rectangles (laughs) yeah so as a composition I thought it's really nice to work within that composition and this was like an old screen that I had in a show at Rifle Maker Gallery in London about 20 years ago and I was cursing it came back recently from storage and I was cursing it thinking oh I'm going to put the blooming thing (laughs) and now it's like it's perfect it's coming really handy for these sort of situations on Zoom Yeah, I love that. Firstly, I always talk to artists about how they can have studio visits with people when they don't have a big studio, when they don't have a studio. And I have these virtual studio visits with artists all the time. So curating the frame, as it were, is a new way that you don't have to be based in these central locations in the world in order to have interesting conversations Mm -hmm. with people. And the more you give a sense of your personality and uh, what your interests are, even in the stuff behind you, 
you know, the more that somebody has got a talking point if they're feeling shy or feeling a bit nervous. So I am absolutely over the moon that you curated your backdrop for us. So thank you. But more importantly, it's great to be with you because I think you're one of those brilliant artists who I find incredibly inspiring. I wanted to introduce to our audience because you really have your own style, your own vernacular, your own language and your own kind of cosmology in the way you create. It seems like there's nothing off limits to you, Judy. So we're going to dig into that. But I wondered if we could start at the very beginning. Would that mm-hmm. be right? Because you've had this most this incredible career. But where, where did it all start? Where did you grow up? Yes, yeah, so I grew up in uh, Seven Oaks in Kent in the UK. Yeah, it was very green and pleasant. Suburbia. Pleasant. <laughs> no, it was very pleasant. It was. It was very <laughs> pleasant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did how how was it to be in a land of pleasants when you were young? Yeah, I mean I think I was very lucky well, I was very fortunate. I had a very lovely, sort of stable, secure upbringing. Yeah, the only thing that was unpleasant was I didn't like uh, Sundays were always problematic for me. Wasn't keen on a Sunday. And school, which is quite a big component, I suppose, was less keen on that. So other than that, it was it was good. And what was it about school that you found uh, not so pleasant? Oh, my God. Well, it was all girls. It was, I'm not very clever, so that wasn't very helpful. <laughs> what makes you say you're not very clever? I'm not. Uh, I'm just... Like, yeah, I mean, I had to work really hard. Like, my my best friend was Paula. She was very, uh, she had model looks and she was super clever. So I was like always trying to struggle to keep up with her. So, yeah, so there was sort of trying to keep up with um, Paula being super clever. And then I just, yeah, I like, art wasn't a big, wasn't a big deal in that school. So, I was just so desperate to leave. But as you know, near the end, I was like counting down the days and, you know, I'd started to get silly hair and silly makeup and, um, you know, obviously that wasn't going down well. And yeah, so it was just like miserable. I was like, I was just desperate to get out um, at 16. So who who did you find at that time that, you know, sort of you could relate to? Were there any role models or anybody in the media or where did you find your artistic inspiration at that age? Well, obviously, I was watching loads of telly. <laughs> um, You're a child of the yeah. 70s, right? So that was a very particular yeah. British. We only had a few channels at that time, didn't we? Yeah. No, which, yeah, no, it was quite exciting. So then I'll be um, in my room. And yeah, there were a couple of programs that made a humongous impact on me. Um, they showed um, the Naked Civil Servant film oh. with uh, John Hurt, the Quentin Crisp dramatization his life story and I was just like just I just loved him and you know that was just amazing I was just oh wow people like that exist you know with coloured hair and doing their own thing yeah so that was that and then also they had um they this was a bit later but they showed the trials of dramatised version of the trials of Oz the oh yeah uh, the underground magazine from 
wasn't it from Australia? Although, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they had the courtroom case of that. And I was just like, oh, my God, this publication is outrageous. And I just couldn't believe these things existed. <laughs> and yeah, that was so exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Was there anybody in your family that also found those things exciting? Uh, yeah. Yeah, so my mum my mom was an illustrator, but um, when she had myself and my brother, you know, she gave that career up or she put that on the side and she was sort of working in Woolworths but um, she was obviously still interested um, and then my dad was he was a graphic designer um, so yeah we were often well often you'll be up to London going around the National Gallery and such like yeah I mean I thought that was just normal I thought that was I didn't realize that that was that was quite special Mm. Yeah. And so did they support the fact that you didn't particularly have your tribe at school? Yeah, no, my mum was, um, she was great. She had to come up to the school to defend me, to defend my appearance. <laughs> that was a, a particular coloured hair moment. Yeah, there was, yeah I just, I'd, I'd seen an image in ID magazine of this uh, hairdo in, um, and it was done in this uh, salon in Kensington called Antenna. And um, yeah, so it's the back of it was like a shaved chicken sort of thing. And then I had sort of corkscrew um, extensions. Oh, dear. And yeah, and that was the one that really tipped the boat for the school. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't that keen on sha the shaved chicken look. <laughs> Chicken's bum or a turkey bum or something, something like that at the back. It sounds brilliant. Um, yeah, it was a good look, I thought. Yeah, often I looked ridiculous, but... My parents just never said it, never said anything derogatory about it, so that was nice. Yeah, I was lucky there. So you started expressing yourself and finding your own path at sort of really at at secondary school. Yeah, yeah. sort of. Well, I think from probably from about the age of eight or nine, it started it started to kick in. I think you say kick in mm. ah, i see so with clothes and was makeup always a, a big thing for you yes i was wearing that far too young yeah flirt, that was another reason i got I had to go and wash it off ah yes <laughs> yeah I'd, i had yeah. to wash my face off a few times as well Did you? <laughs> like, yeah right giant uh purple and orange uh makeup big up the sides of my face and a giant back combed hairdo I think, um, yeah, <laughs> it didn't go down too well, but that that's good. So you've started finding your groove at that time. So when you left school, where did you go next? Yeah, so I was 16 and I was too young to do a foundation, but I thought I'd do fashion, uh, fashion diploma. So that mm. was, a, it was Medway College of Art and Design as it was then in Rochester, mm. in Kent. So that was a two-year course. Yeah, and it was lovely. It was really lovely. So did you start meeting more people who were interested in similar things at that point? Yeah, it was like a revelation. It was just <laughs> the best thing ever. Oh. Like, yeah, it was just, it really was. It was really impactful. Yeah, so I felt absolute freedom when I got there. Was there but, a tutor that, you re that resonated with your um, style or vision at the time? Uh, well, at that point, actually, um, that's when I met. Uh, Howard Tangi, who really is, has been my inspiration for my entire career for drawing and such like. Yeah, and he was coming as a visiting tutor from time to time to give drawing classes. 
And yeah, he was just, he seemed so exotic. Uh, he was just, yeah. Really what amazing. was it about him, Julie, that really um, resonated with you? Well, he was really, so these drawing classes from life and they were really, he ran it like it was really disciplined. Um, but you could see he had this little glint in his eye. It was just, he he was so serious about this subject and it was just so wonderful and inspiring to to just be part of it. Yeah, and I became like, uh, I just you know, followed him around because he would do quite a few classes, evening classes at Central St. Martin's during that period. And did you start to find your own style at that time? What kind of work were you making? Oh, I was probably doing a pastiche of Howard, very bad one. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, no, my drawing was pretty stiff, let's be honest. I mean, it took ages for, for that to sort of really kick off, I think. Um, but I was trying really hard. I mean, that's been the driving force as it remains so to try and sort of get loosen it up. What kind of things were you feasting on? You know, besides being inspired by him, um, what kinds of things were you looking at or kind of drawing inspiration from? Um, yeah, all the fashion magazines at the time. You know, it was the face, ID, Vogue, <laughs> which was a good period for Vogue at that time in the sort of late 80s. Mm. Mid-late 80s was quite good for British Vogue then. And what else was I looking at? Pop music, of course. What kind of pop were you listening to? Well, obviously the top 40. Um, yeah. And then my dad had his, my parents had their record collections. So it was Elvis, Beatles, Everly Brothers, Susie and the Banshees, Deaf School, Roxy Music, things like that. <laughs> so it's a kind of, um, it, from even from what you've just mentioned, there's a popular culture, but with a twist. And those characters that you've just described, those performers were had a visual aesthetic as well as being able to to sing in their music, didn't they? They all had their way of showing up and presenting yeah. themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I loved uh, Top of the Pops was I sound ancient now saying that, but it was really impactful. Mm. That was a television program um, that in the in the 70s, it was very particular. They, they did have stage sets for their bands, didn't they? <laughs> in a kind of, it was in a, a really weird makeshift yeah. audience where yeah. the, there were supposedly teenagers in the audience, but they look about 50 when you look at um, past, <laughs> the, you look at past footage um, and then the bands would come on and kind of give it their all because it was the main mainstream opportunity wasn't it so if you were on top of the pops you would go you would go huge so mm. there's something about that theatricality of that that's that I'm getting a sense of resonated with you at that time yeah and dancing I loved Pan's People and the other dance troupe Legs and Co yeah they were uh, kind of sexy dancers weren't they yeah they're super sexy and the costumes were great I love the coordination yeah, it was just a moment in the week. <laughs> so so getting this um, this idea that there's a very sensuous but kind of lush texture to the things that you're interested in at the time. Yeah, I mean, I haven't really thought about it, but yeah, I don't know. I just like I just like to surround myself with stuff like noise and and colour and texture, and that's just magnified as the older I've become. <laughs> 
Is it safe to say you're a maximalist, Julie? Uh, yeah. Sadly, yes. <laughs> so you, you, you're at Fashion College and you're finding your tribe and you're starting to get a real sense of what inspires you, what motivates you. So what kind of people are you starting to connect with and how, what are the first opportunities that come for you? The tribe and the connection thing. I don't know if I was really, I don't know. I don't know that I don't want to give the wrong impression. I'm quite a sort of solitary person. <laughs> so I had one, again, one good friend, Anne, at college. And um, yeah, we were sort of in it together. Uh, so that was nice. And I kind of, too many people sort of scare me on the tribe front. Mm. Um, so is that you prefer yeah. to go deep with fewer people? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how many friends can you have in life? Not, can't really sustain that many. Can you? Would you yeah. describe yourself as an introvert then, Jeannie? Oh, that sounds so negative. Do you think? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just, I mean, I, yeah, I suppose I was shy but wanting to be heard. Yes. But, yeah, you know, or seen, but struggling on that front. Mm. So you have this great friendship um, at Partner in Crime at college. Yeah. And so, yeah, what kind, how did you know what you wanted to do and how did you start to find opportunities? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I didn't really know what, I just knew that I wanted to do something in fashion, but I didn't know what. Um, and I was a bit fearful because I, on the practical side, I couldn't pattern cut or so uh, very well. Or at all, and um, yes. But so what happened was, um, yeah, that I managed to get a work placement through a, an ex-student from Medway, and she was working at John Galliano's studio in London, and the, it was over the summer, and they were looking for uh, students to do some hand sewing. <laughs> so I got was, my... was that a skill you developed, Julie? No. <laughs> <laughs> So did you wing it? Totally. <laughs> so um, that's really interesting. I wonder if we could just expand on that because you, you say you're a shy person, but you're about to go to this studio of this notorious or relatively well-known designer at the time, you know, was a big deal. Hey, yeah. so, you know, where did that confidence come from to say, to grab that opportunity? Well, I hadn't got any choice sort of the, because... Well, I hadn't got any choice. I'd applied to go to Central St. Martin's and hadn't got in. And so I was like, I thought, oh, God, what am I going to do? I haven't got, I don't know, I, was I really that arrogant to think that I was going to get in? Yeah, so I hadn't got like a backup plan. So this student placement came. It was just like a summer thing. And um, so I thought, oh, this is lovely. You know, I was like, yeah, I can get on the train. I can go up to town. I can do that. You know, because we, we were on mass, there were loads of us doing mm. it. So intimidating, you know. You're all sort of tucked behind dummies, just sewing. <laughs> <laughs> That's no relation to the people you were with. <laughs> That's the mannequins. <laughs> so, so you were in the studio, tucked behind a mannequin. What were the first projects you were working on? Um, yeah, so that was John's uh, rose collection. Yeah, so they were really lovely uh, rose jackets. Where yeah, they had a th- I think there were twelve or thirteen rolled roses on each jacket. Um, yeah, and so I was working on that. 
And how was it taking instruction at that age? Well, yeah, no, I loved I love instruction. I still love instruction. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I love a brief. Ah, great. So you were diligently sticking to the brief. How was it yeah. being in the studio with him? Um, very exciting. Um, yeah. Yeah, just, I mean, he was only in his mid-twenties then. Wow. So, um, yeah. No, it was, and he just won Designer of the Year, something like that, at that sort of period. And, um, you know, it's late 80s. Yeah. It was just, it was very, so I was very grown up. I felt very grown up all of a sudden because I was yeah. like 18, getting on what, the train. What an incredible opportunity to experience yeah. so young. Yeah, I was very lucky. Yeah. But you obviously made the most of that luck at the time. So um, what did you learn from being in the studio with John at that time? Um, I learned everything, really. Um Obviously, I hadn't got a clue how a fashion house ran. I hadn't got, you know, I had no idea. Um, so seeing the whole sort of cycle of how things worked. Um, and then obviously, John is a great showman and the whole storytelling, the whole narrative. You know, again, I thought that was normal um, practice in a design house, but, you know, it's quite exceptional how he works. Um, so that Could you say great. a little bit more about that for us, Julie, for those of us who don't, who don't, might not know how that works? Um, well, at the time he was working with um, Amanda Harlick, who was styling the show, not directing it as such. So they, together they would sort of concoct this story that we would all sort of work within of different fictitious characters or um, going on some random adventure i mean it all sounds very fave but it wasn't it was like it was really um uh well, i learned i just learned loads just learned a lot so it was all often um uh rooted in literature and um yeah amanda's very bright mm. <laughs> so yeah yeah it was really very insightful and yeah no, i was very lucky and the um the studio team that you were working with, I'm imagining those places are maybe something a bit like a chef's kitchen, with different depending on which designers that you're working with. What was the atmosphere yeah. like? Yeah, it was very charged. Yeah, it was full speed ahead, full mm -hmm. on. Um, do you, do you like fun. working under pressure? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Well, you sort of you you just have to make decisions, don't you? And no time to overthink mm -hmm. so yeah, it cuts through the noise somehow yeah. mm. no i'm really like um i think i feel fortunate that i've had this sort of background in fashion so to speak because it's you know it does give you a really good grounding of hard work and stamina <laughs> and, and a discipline i guess for seeing an idea through to its first conclusion if it were oh, yeah I mean, the negative things about it are, you know, these awful fashion cycles, which hopefully they are changing. Mm. You know, it's kind of unforgiving the the pace that you have to work at uh, supply demand. But, you know, I think that is changing now. Um, yeah. So in a charged atmosphere like that, where you're learning, how do you make space for your own creativity? When I was there? Or... Yes. Ooh. 
So I was drawing on the train back and forth. Mm. <laughs> drawing random strangers. I was so driven. I was so I was so mortified that I hadn't got into college. Mm. I was really I was just really mortified. So I was so determined. I mean, you know, they did me a mammoth mammoth favor. Because I applied a second time again and didn't get in the second time either. But um, um they did me a huge favor because it just really drove me to um pursue, you know, just to get on with it. Gave you a fire. Yeah, absolutely. Did they give you some feedback on why you didn't get in at the time? Yeah, so Howard Tangi again was fighting my corner. Um, you know, he followed it up, followed it up with them. And I mean I knew why I knew in my heart of hearts why I hadn't got in. Um why do you think I, that was, Julie? Um I was useless at the interview. I was like close to mute. Um oh. I couldn't, just couldn't couldn't say what I wanted to say. And I was probably too young, and they did actually say that I wasn't a designer, which even gave me even more fire. I was mm. like, what? Um, Interesting. They were, they were, I have to say they're right. <laughs> yeah, how brilliant and annoying to be told yeah. that at that time. Yes. Then I can't remember the second time. I don't think I asked for feedback the second time. No, <laughs> fair, fair enough. You're like, yeah, third time, not lucky. <laughs> so you're on the train drawing. So even though you're working long hours and in a high-pressured environment, you're still fueled enough to keep making your own work on the train on the way there and on the way back. Uh, yeah, and I was going to um, evening classes for drawing. Then Howard did. He often did a Saturday class as well for drawing at his home. So I'd go to that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just loved it. I just absolutely loved it. And was it mostly people that you were fascinated in drawing at the time? Yeah, yeah. always. Mm. Yeah, I'm not that bothered about anything else. Just I like people and faces and bodies. So um, how long did you work with John Galliano for? Uh, it was four years. Wow. Yeah. What was the pay like at the time, Julie? Oh, yeah. Well, that was exciting because um, so I started off as a, like I say, student placement in the summer. And then I was offered uh, a job. And I was like, whoa, a job. And I remember distinctly it was £9,000 salary. Wow. And that was 1998. Yeah. I don't know. It felt like an absolute fortune. Not bad, uh, hey? Yeah, it was good. So <clears> I could buy my ticket, no problem. Yeah, but having said that, I wasn't living in London, I was commuting. Yeah. Yeah, but still, it was just like, whoa, it's better than my Saturday job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, four years, what happened? How did you end up leaving? Well, the silly thing is, I got bored. How dreadful is that? Amazing. Four years is a long time in a creative life cycle. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's. Yeah, I think it's quite long, longish. Um, no, I was just. It was getting me down the uh, merry-go-round, sort of knowing what was going to happen. I mean, that sounds so spoiled and privileged. Um, I don't know why. I just. I felt I needed to do something more for myself oh god which is something yeah. worse uh yeah and i thought i would try and make uh try and have a go at being a fashion illustrator 
okay. at that time. Yeah, so I thought I'll, I'll just leave and give it a go. So what did giving it a go entail? Well, it didn't go very well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Where did you start? Well, I just tried to get freelance fashion illustration jobs. I mean, already it's a niche niche thing to do. And at that time, it was desperately unfashionable to do to be fashion and fashion illustrator. So that was, it was kind of hard work. Uh, so I didn't do very well. I mean, I got bits and bobs, but, you know, wasn't my nine grand salary. No. Um, and then, fortunately, um, Howard comes in for the rescue again, Howard Tangi, and he was teaching, he was doing a bit of part-time teaching at South End um, College, and he offered he offered it to me to try. Um, and I was, what? I was like, no way, I can't teach. <laughs> That's why. So I started teaching, and else, yeah, flipping all over the shop, barn, Croydon. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was good. Um, so yeah. again, this is a, a shy artist slash designer being thrown in at the deep end, learning on the job. Yes. Again, that takes that takes some courage. Oh, uh, again, it was just necessity, you know. Mm. Just got to get on with it. I've got to just got to earn a earn a living. Yeah. And so, what did um, teaching give to you at the time? Uh, well, I was obviously really. I thought I can't do this, um, but I surprised myself. I, yeah, I turned into my mum, which I wasn't expected at all. So my mum was very um, opinionated, <laughs> <laughs> very blunt, and very um, sort of. Yeah, just, just there was a sort of discipline. She was very sort of well mannered, but disciplined. Like, and yet I turned into this when I began teaching drawing, and I thought, "This came. Where does this come from?" But it was really exciting. Suddenly, I felt like I got more of a voice. I don't Great. know why. It was suddenly, something that I really cared about. Yeah, and I was totally, obviously, I was totally underqualified and far too young to be doing it, really. But uh, yeah. But somebody else saw what you were capable of and gave you an opportunity. Yeah, just took a chance, I suppose. I mean, Howard said he felt the same when he started teaching. So, yeah, so that was reassuring, at least. Howard yeah. sounds like a mentor. Yeah, I know he's fabulous. Mm. Mm. So during your time teaching, um, what kinds of things are you making alongside it? Ooh. Um, what was I doing? I think I was still trying. I was still trying to get the fashion drawing at that stage. Um, yeah, this period didn't last that long. It was only about eighteen months. Um, and then I thought I really need to try and get a design job. And there was nothing in London at that time. There wasn't a great deal. Um, well, there obviously was, but nothing that I thought I was suitable for. So. Yeah, I thought I'd try and take myself to Paris. God knows why. Um, <laughs> I don't know where this came from. Um, Amazing. Uh, to try and to see if I could try and get work over there. Yeah. Did you have any contacts in Paris? Um, well, my brother, he had his friend, Patrick, was over there at the time, which was a blessing, so I could stay with Patrick. Uh, and so that was good. Um and then I just yeah trawled around 
and found it easier than I expected, actually, to try and see people. I think the Galliano card got me in stores. I used it shamelessly. Did you have a, Did you build up a lot of contacts when you were with John in the studio? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was... Um, yeah, it was really good. There's so many people in and out of that um, the studio over the years, you know, show production and textiles. And yeah, it was that was really, yeah, I made a lot of friends. Well, a lot of friends, a lot of, yeah, acquaintances. And so you checked some of them out in Paris. So um, what did you manage to, uh, to cement in Paris for yourself? Um, so yeah, I eventually got a um, was offered a design assistant job at um, this designer called Martine Sipbon, and so again, I was I wasn't you know I wasn't really a designer, but I because I'd just been assisting John and just I hadn't been designing clothes as such. So yeah, but I got in on the strength of my drawing, sort of thinking that I. Anyway, I managed to get uh, get in, and um, and again learnt on that job how to design really. How, how did that studio compare to John's studio? What was it like working uh, with Martine? Yeah, it was it was um, it was much quieter. <laughs> um, I can't really remember. This is the tragedy. Um, yeah. It was sort of, I mean, I found it difficult because I couldn't speak the language. Um, mm. I don't have any ear for languages. Uh, so that was a problem. So I felt I couldn't really, um, although they all spoke English in the studio, but it was sort of, it was quite a tough city to live in. Mm. Mm. Did you find any, any um, friends or people you could connect with besides Patrick? Oh yeah, um, yeah. So no, I made really good friends in the end. Um, my friend Sarah Gresty and Arthur, um, yeah, and yeah, and then I was actually married at the time. Can you believe? Um, Why, when, when did you get married, Julie? <laughs> uh, I got well. We had to get married because it was a proper relationship, but um, my ex, a bit like Joan Collins, my ex. Um, <laughs> Fabio, he was Brazilian and um, he'd overstayed in the UK. So we had to get married to get for him to join me in Paris. Otherwise, he couldn't get back into the UK. Yeah, so we got married. And so Fabio was able to join about six months later. So that was nice. So yeah, I wasn't on my own. How was it being married? Yeah, yeah it was quite, um, I hated the thought of it. But actually, I was really pleased when we did it because I felt quite smug. <laughs> then smug with who? <laughs> smug with who? Oh, look at me! I've got married. <laughs> but then, of course, that all went wrong. So being smug was my own fault. I shouldn't have been so smug. <laughs> when you say it went wrong, how long did your marriage last, Julie? Um, well, we were together, well, we were married like 11 years, 11 or 12. Oh, so sounds like something went right for 11 years. Yeah, that's not bad in ends, is it? Yeah. No shaming that. No. And were you married, living together in Paris for all that time? Yeah, we were in a shoebox in Paris. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was yeah, it was great. It was really great. And yeah. was your partner in design or fashion at the time too? Well, yeah, I mean, he's an art. He's an artist, but we he was working in kitchens when he got to Paris. Yeah, um, it was awful actually. He was having to do this hideous shift, um, nighttime sort of shift. Yeah, we had this one room, and we were anyway. It was, that's just normal, isn't it? If you're young; it doesn't matter. It's fine. No, you can live in a shoebox. I mean, yeah. I'm assuming that you had some kind of nightlife alongside this. Not a great deal. I mean, plenty of glasses of wine on the pavement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll count. <laughs> um, but again, the job was intense. Yeah. yeah, I thought we would be like getting on the train, going down to the south of France at weekends, but there was none of that. I, we got as far as Versailles. That was about it. Um, yeah, it was. It was a job. full-on job. Full-on job. Yeah. And what besides uh, the challenge of the language and mm. uh, it being a different vibe in the studio, what would you say you learned from that time working in that and part in that environment? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> Oh, I don't know. What did I learn? Um, God. Mm, I, I don't know. I learned, well, I learned lots, I think. I mean, all the time I wanted to come home. Is that really pathetic? No. Um, you didn't, yeah. Was that because it didn't feel right? Or uh, Yeah, I just, it was, you know, it was amazing, but I love London. Mm. I really like basic. I just... And because I always looked a bit odd, Paris was very um, too bourgeois and it was very snobby at that time. It's much mm. better now, I believe. But it, so I found like, yeah, I found all that on the street. It was never easy. Mm. Um, whereas in London, people are much more forgiving, I think. So we're talking about the the way you dress, the way you have your hair, being a, a little... Um, Dance into the beat of your own drum. Mm-hmm. I mean, then I was looking pretty straight, actually, um, because I'd grown my hair long to try and get a boyfriend. So I'd oh, it's a deliberate choice. Yeah, it was very calculated. Interesting. So you um, thought if you thought that having a more conventional look would be more appealing? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, like a cuttlefish. Is that what they do? <laughs> I think cuttlefish change in their environments, don't they? Oh, do they? I didn't know that. Yeah. So they're beautiful, multicoloured creatures. And uh, I think I think this is right. I'm pretty sure the artist Sophie Young um, taught me about cuttlefish. And they, and they change in their environments. So I'm just imagining you as, I, as you sit before me in this gorgeous, uh, multicoloured, beautiful vision and then I'm thinking about you adapting in order to attract a mate. Yeah, so I did that and then we got to Paris and I was I suppose I was still compromising in a way. I was wearing a lot of black. Um Yeah, I was still I was a different person. I really was a different person. Mm. I was very um accommodating. Yeah. <laughs> accommodating and sounds like something that we often go through at different points in our life when we want to find a way to 
kind of grow and develop in a new environment. So some some part of it is like a survival skill, do you not think? Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, definitely. Because now now that I'm comfortable in my being, as comfortable as you can be, you know, now I don't care. So that's mm. it's different, isn't it? That's the only good thing about getting older. Yeah. It is a good thing about getting older. But I'm also thinking about um, when we put ourselves in those environments where we're not quite our true and authentic selves, how it reveals the bits that are missing. Oh, okay. Well, that's nice. And that's sometimes that that's a really useful thing, isn't it? It depends. I mean, for all of us, we go through different phases, whether it's dating the wrong person or working in the wrong job or, but, you know, as long as we find it within ourselves to to get ourselves out of that situation, uh-huh. then actually it's almost like it confirms what we always suspected. Oh, uh-huh. yeah, that's nice. Hmm. I wasn't really aware of what I was doing at the time, but I suppose I was trying to fit in somehow yeah hey are you passionate about mentoring artists but maybe you're feeling like you've got way more potential to make a difference me too and i've been where you are i've built a six-figure mentoring business so i know it's not just passion but strategy that counts i want to help you elevate your mentoring practice So join me and amazing business coach, Lena Asragi, and our creative mentor community for a game-changing three-day online course on November the 17th, 18th and 24th. Over three days, you'll master onboarding, craft systems, set prices confidently and so much more. Join us to unlock your talent and transform the impact you have in the arts. But please apply now because we've only got 20 spots available. Visit kerryhand.com to apply and Lena and I look forward to the possibility of working with you. It's interesting that that uh, different city, um, and, I, and I understand completely what you mean about Paris at, at that time. Um, so you did seem to give it a fair old innings at Martine's at Bond. So what was the tipping point there? Where was, what was the last, the last thing you worked on? Oh, um, at Martins. Mm. Um, yeah, well, I was, so I stayed full time for two and a half years. Um, and then finally made the break, um, came back, but then, um, then this was the, the perfect scenario for me. It was really lovely. So I, uh, remained as a consultant, um, and I'd go back like four times a year for the next five years. Um, yeah, for short, short, sharp bursts. So that was that was lovely. I enjoyed that. And Amazing. That's sort of, yeah, I, that's where my career went at that point, doing that sort of thing for different um, designers. What yeah. does consultancy mean in in working with a designer? What kinds um, of uh, things would you advise on? Yeah, so, I know it sounds very grand, doesn't it? It's not. Um, yeah, <laughs> I was just um, researching. So I was researching in London. Um, you know, using all the resources, all the libraries, all the uh, vintage shops, which was obviously it's always been really great. Um, yeah, so gather hunting and gathering loads of um, stuff and presenting that um, for you know what I thought were things going forward, mm. uh, and then just then I would draw from that and propose things, 
um, work during the show time with the styling. Yeah, and it was really sort of really vibrant. Good time, good times. And again, so, met sounds very exciting. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I was traveling a lot. Yeah, it was good. I'm I'm curious just in terms of the because Martine Sitbon, maybe could you describe the style of Martine's kind of work at that time? Ah. Uh-huh. Um oh dear, she's gonna have to get this right. Uh yeah, I'd say sort of post punk, um new wave, um a little bit teensy bit gothic. Uh but Martine's like really she loves um pop culture and mus- uh music um yeah new wave have i said new wave mm. um so yeah. with those reference points mm-hmm. you would then go and scour the vintage shops find inspiration on the streets kind of gather this material it sounds like going back to that storytelling that you learned mm-hmm. in John's studio that sort of yeah. way- world building through these multiple reference points yeah, yeah. I'll just be, yeah, hunting and gathering for images, books, uh, garments, and then I'd like make all these different proposals, little families of proposals. Yeah, and then I'd use the drawing to try and enhance, you know, propose how things could be put together, and then some things would get developed and others would just would, would not, obviously. Yeah, so yeah, it was good. It was like far again. It was fast. Uh, fast-paced, react, you know, reacting to the moment, trying to be relevant or just slightly ahead, you know. And, and it was good. Was how was a consultant paid in those days? Um, yeah, uh, yeah, it was better than being full time. <laughs> um, I can't really remember what I got from Martins. It was a, I think I got a project rate. I mean, a seasonal rate. Um. But then when I went to work for other people, um, uh, that would be more of a day rate. I don't know. I mean, I was I was doing I, pro- I was probably doing the best I've ever done financially then. Mm. So was it just your consultancy, or were you earning an income from other things that you were making at the time? Um, let me think. At that point. Um, so I was doing the consultancies and then I was still teaching. Um, yeah, because from 1996, I was teaching one day a week and I still do. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Central St. Martin's on the MA. So that was um, that was a constant. So that was nice. So I always had that as a, my, you know, security. That's interesting, Julie, because you said so far it sounds like you like you like new territories and you like learning new things and you yeah. like difference. But yeah. it's interesting that you've had that consistent kind of column all the way through with Central St Martins. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but then it's fresh, fresh, fresh faces every year, isn't it? So yes. you don't get too bored of the same faces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And style and style changes, of course. Yeah. Like you're seeing a different crew coming through all the time, which is interesting. At that, so at that time when you're you're a consultant, you're doing well. You're sort of still drawing and making things for yourself. I'm sort of interested in how your own style as an artist starts to come through. 
Like mm-hmm. where does where does that start emerging for you? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I was always drawing, uh, but I wasn't. I wasn't actually made. I wasn't didn't make things for myself until quite later. I think a lot later. Um, so. Sorry, I can't remember what was the question. Just uh, when you started, um, so you're offering consultancy for other people and helping them to realise their vision. I'm just wondering when you started paying attention to your own ideas and um, becoming an artist, I oh, guess. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, so I was getting, having some, hit the same cycle, I was getting frustrated again because I wasn't doing my own, I wasn't 100% satisfying myself because I sound so spoiled. I was like, whoa, I need to change something here. Uh, but then in the meantime, um, I was offered this design uh, job where it was um, a new a new design house called Gibo um, by an Italian uh, backer and they were looking for a designer. Um, yeah, so I did, so I got that gig where I was it had no history so I really could go in and do whatever I wanted <laughs> but it didn't last that long how long's not long uh two years oh uh, that's not that's not too bad that's a cycle what happened in that time Julie uh yeah so it was again that it was really full-on it was uh um showing during London Fashion Week um they opened two shops Oh no! Oh, Carrie, I'm still here. Are you there? Yes, I'm still here. Um, I've lost you. That's weird. Sorry. I'm still here. Okay, I just can't see you. Um, yeah, I think maybe um, did your phone go and um, yeah, sort of disrupted. Oh no! Sorry. It's all right. I can see you and I can hear you loud and clear. Is that okay to continue then? Yeah, or? yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. Just if it's if it's weird for you, but um, I can see you, and um, I'm here, and my face is smiling. <laughs> Not to worry. A blank screen. <laughs> so um, we're coming. So you were uh, two years, um, and we're exploring what happened in that two years when you were at the fashion, new fashion house, Italian led. Uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we opened, or they opened, um, two boutiques, one, um, sorry, one in London and one in Milan. And, um, and then, yeah, we were showing during London Fashion Week and, um, yeah, that was it really. It was, yeah, it was really exciting. Um, yeah, but then I got fired. Oh. How did you get fired? Um, because the 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 clothes weren't selling as they anticipated. Um, yeah, like the final sort of the fourth collection I did. Um, more people got involved at that point uh, to try and save it, I suppose. Well, not save it, but try and get it to sell bigger quantities. Um, yeah, and... But having said that, you know, again, I was absolutely mortified at the time. But then it was an absolute. Um, now it, you know, it has been an absolute blessing because at that point, then I realised, ah, uh, okay, now's the time to uh, try this other route. What do you mean by other route? Um, 
Well, the dirty word, the artist word. The artist word. <laughs> so interesting. So um, just to, to touch on that experience of being the boss and kind of, you know, sort of um, being the head of the design team, if you like, what did you think for yourself, besides what everyone else thought at the time, what did you think the reasons were that the, the clothes weren't selling? Um, well, they were overpriced, but that's partly my fault because I was designing the, the sort of gear that I was designing, um, appealed to a younger market and the prices were much more sort of Prada-esque. Right. That sort of level. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a quick sort of thought. I don't know. But in terms of the things that you did design, you know, uh, would what would you stand by now? Um, I mean, I liked all of it. I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, there wasn't there was nothing I was desperately embarrassed about. I don't think. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was good because it gave me a, a new appreciation of designers yeah. um, because it's so difficult um, selling work. You know, selling yes. Um, yeah, because towards the end, it was all about what the buyers wanted. You know, you can do that sleeve, but it needs to be two centimetres below the elbow. Otherwise, such and such won't buy it. Nah, 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 nah. Um, mm. And it was just, oh, my God, this is really doing my head in. Um, this is this is, mm, this is really suffocating. It's very yeah. interesting, isn't it? It's so different to the, I mean, it's, every art form has a market, of course, yeah. that, and the market forces shape some of what comes out of it but it's so interesting that you did have that experience you have extreme discipline in the craft itself yes and that kind of attention to detail and deep research and knowledge and kind of excavating history to connect with pop culture and so there's incredible amount of research that goes into the kind of fashion that you were working in mm -hmm. and that very unique point of view and then translating it into a slightly more mainstream way of connecting with audiences. Sounds like there's some incredible learnings there in terms of the things that have come next in your career. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, what I loved about the whole experience was when you got the, the toile as such, the, you know, the work in progress garment on a body and that was, and then suddenly you're back to, it's like drawing again, you're back to dealing with proportions, you're back to, you know, it's all, you know, the body is your canvas. And it was, it was so pleasing, you know, I, I love that. I loved that about fashion. Mm. Just dealing with shapes and um, proportion, scale and silhouette. I really love silhouette. Yes. yes. So you have this amazing experience that gives you your turning point where you're like, Maybe I'm an artist after all. Well, I didn't really think that. I I just thought I'll just do something. I mean, I did always find, find it unattractive, the thought of being an artist. <laughs> what do you mean being unattractive? <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, that thing of, I mean, it's what I've turned into now, like this sort of self-centred, sort of all about me. I always mm. thought, you know, it's all so awful. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, but that's God, you know, that's what I'm doing. Dreadful, really. But is yeah. that, um, I mean, I'm curious about that because from where 
from where I'm sitting and looking at what you have achieved in your time, you know, you have had this very uh, singular vision and approach to doing things your own way, but it's always been in community with others, Julie. Uh-huh. Well, so good. when you speak about being selfish, I think the very best creatives that I know are answering questions for themselves, you know, are right. trying to interrogate the world first and foremost because they've got a curiosity. Mm-hmm. And then if other people are excited or like what they're doing, then I see it as a gift to people. It's not oh. personally, that's my my understanding is really thank God you have been selfish if that's the way you want to look at it. Because I think you have put some extraordinary things into the world. And I think um certainly the inspiring people to walk their own walk and to, you know, to live how they want to live, I think um I think we need trailblazers like you that are prepared to do that and at the expense of other things. But I'm curious as to, to, you know, what's the cost in moving into being this artist now or as as you're moving from the design world more into kind of having a much more kind of, let's say, more of a free range chicken approach to creativity? (laughs) Definitely flapping. <laughs> what they do is you got the haircut. <laughs> Playing eggs. <laughs> um, sorry, now I forgot what the question was. This chicken vision. It's, I like- <laughs> it's really. Um, I've yeah. I look. I mean, I thinking about your creativity the sort of the next quest where you're sort of moving into having a much broad more broad range approach to creativity where you're not answering a brief as such you're answering your own brief yeah um yeah it feels good um but it's taken a while to get there you know to have that confidence i suppose um to just um trust that you know, I don't know. I'm just sort of all the time. I'm just now. I'm just pleasing myself, um, and hoping that I make. You know, I do make a connection with. I think you know by being honest and delivering work that's kind of unfiltered and. Um, yeah, I think. You know, surely you that has to be a good thing doesn't it because you know who's who's to judge who's to say there's right or wrong or in you know, art it can, can be anything can't it so did you what, have what? did you have a moment in particular or was it a series of moments to you where you just thought i'm going to do this my own way um yeah it was a sort of slow burner i suppose um do 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 uh Mm, yeah, my when my parents died, um, that sort of, um, in a way, it was. I mean, it's horrendous to say. It was quite freeing, I suppose, on that front. Not that they were judgmental in any way at all, but I thought, you no, know, it's sort of easier just to do slightly dodgy things. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you say dodgy, well, I haven't got anyone to answer to. But mm. so that's that's the only thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to answer to anyone, which is pretty amazing. Other than, yeah, I've got my partner, but he, he doesn't. 
judge. I think mm-hmm. he finds it mildly amusing. Yeah. Is your partner in the arts? Um, he's very creative. Um, but no, he's at the moment he's a train driver. Mm. Yes. Yes. So, and um, in terms of you finding your kind of your opportunity, and I, I do understand what you mean. Um, I think uh, another artist friend of mine said when my mum died and she, she'd experienced her mum dying too. And she said they talk about it as being your second birth. Ooh. Oh, yeah, which I, like that. I thought was really interesting because that idea of being, you know, going back to that sort of, I, I also don't have parents now. And there's something about really feeling um, the expansiveness, like there isn't anyone quite to catch you mm-hmm. in the same way, as well as the responsibility that you're talking about. Um, but also that there's room for there's room for you to expand into in some shape or form, like you say. So it's a very subconscious, very nuanced thing, isn't it? When you're aware of somebody that you love or whether you have a great or a challenging relationship with your folks, I think all of us yeah. are in relation to what's gone before somehow. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do have some responsibility mm. so now you are the unbridled julie in that you can do what you like when you like what things are you paying attention to now what have you what have you taken with you from all of that experience in fashion and design into this new creative round that you're in at the moment um well i always try and um uh, create work Subconsciously, I try and think, oh, well, nobody really cares. Nobody's really looking, uh, which is kind of true. And then, um, <laughs> and then in that mindset, it helps me make work freely. You know, I find that's a good sort of technique. Mm. Um, yeah. And, um, and I suppose from my fashion background, I've, I do love a schedule. I'm like, I'm very, even though I look scatty and a bit mad, I'm actually really uh, disciplined. Mm. Um, yeah, I have a very structured day um, to get things done. Could you could you tell us a bit about that structure? Uh, yeah, well, I, like, I do like a highlighter pen as well. I like to highlight things that have been achieved. Oh, God, yeah. so true. I'm with you. I love a task list myself, although um, I'm sure Lucy, um, our integration manager, would, I'm I'm sure, like like me to like it a little bit more. But um, I'm probably a a little less structured than you, Julie. But I think I love, I've got some fluorescent post-it notes. That's my thing, which, um, you know, just in terms of really giving myself a visual clue that something's mm-hmm. taken place. I can really appreciate that. But it's a very interesting thing you raise because very often the people that I work with that want to achieve more in their life protect their time, you know, in terms of making, etc. cetera, um, but actually are very resistant to structuring time. Okay. So I'm interested in the fact that you have this discipline because you've actually achieved so much in your life 
I'm curious, is, do you have like a, is it a proper day glow day in your, do you have an analog diary that you list all your appointments and your meetings and your creative timing? How do you, how do you, how do you create space for your creativity in that, in that way? Oh, um, yeah, I've got, yeah, very scruffy sheets of paper. I try and keep them in a notepad, but there's something about the notepad that's too static mm. and I like to move pieces of paper around. Um, so yeah, I have my, um, calendar, <laughs> my A4 <laughs> calendar and I don't know, it's just, it's just a comfort. It's not, it's so scruffy, but it gets really dog-eared. But um, yeah, I'm just so conscious of time and the clock. I always have been, even as a young person. I'm like, I think, oh God, it's moving so quick. Um, mm. Yeah. But having said that, you know, at about from about three in the afternoon, this time, <laughs> from three till, um, you know, six, the day starts to slow down and mm. um, yeah, I clock off pretty early. So are you an early bird? You start early. early. Yeah. yeah, better in the morning. What do you look forward to at the moment in terms of the things that you're making? So you're working on a film right now. Um, well, I'm directing a music video, um, yeah, which I'm really enjoying. Uh, and I love, actually, you know, my favourite thing at the moment is video without a doubt. Mm. Yeah, I love it. So... You're working with video, but you also make drawings and prints. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't been drawing for a while, like, seriously. And suddenly I've, like, started to attack it again, um, mm. which feels good. And, yeah, a lot of that's to do with um, meeting my new friend, Alan Folds, and we did a, a book together. He's an artist. We were matchmaked during um, COVID. And yeah, we've made a book together of drawings and nonsense. <laughs> Brilliant. And in the film that you're working on at the moment, how would that brief come to you? And 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 what's the process for you actually creating something from that? Um. So it's so so it's a music video for David Holmes, and so. So I sent the song, got the lyrics. Um, for those for those people who are not familiar with David's work, how would you describe his music? Oh God, oh no! <laughs> In your words, don't worry. It's not not the album sleeve cover notes. Um, well, super layered, filmic, atmospheric, mm. uh, vital, um, political, um, emotive. Yeah, I mean it's really. It's really special. Um, so yeah, obviously I'm responding to that, and um, yeah, so it's a sort of stream of consciousness. Um, I looked at the lyrics, started to um, imagine uh, visuals. I don't know. That sounds really lame. Um, yeah, it's very sort of graphic-led. Um, yeah, I'm filming on an iPhone. Yeah. And I'm just making connections between images and it's, I suppose it's like, um, uh, I don't know, what's it like? I don't know really, it's it's quite, um, it's a bit like advertising, I'm like bang, 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 you know, it's, I've got to maintain somebody's attention. Yeah, so I might put something in that's a bit jarring and then pull mm. it back in. Yeah, no, it's, it's good fun. 
I'm enjoying it. And how long would it take you to do go from sort of the brief, the research to actually delivering a music video? Ooh, um, I'm not quite there yet, but I, maybe um, four weeks, four to six weeks, I'd say. If wow. I'm being uh, honest. Yeah, I mean, I'd like longer, but then if you have too much time, then it just dies, doesn't it? Mm. That's so interesting. So what would you like to be working on next, Julie, after the film? I'd like to do another one. Would you? Yeah, uh, you're really into uh, film right now. Yeah, I love it. Because mm-hmm. um, a drawing can't speak, can it? Not yet. Um, mm. And I like the movement. And I obviously like love music. Um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying that. Who uh, would you, If you could, who would you like to make a, a music video for? Ooh. Oh, big question. Um, oh, God, I've no idea. I could see you making something for somebody like Kate Le Bon. Oh, or, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, yeah. Just, yeah. you know, there's a, there's a sense of um, kind of otherworldliness and layers mm-hmm. um, in the music that I could imagine being really fun to. I'm not sure if she's your thing, but it just came to my mind. Yeah, no, yes, please. <laughs> okay. If Kate's listening, um, <laughs> that's great. I'm curious as to the the kinds of creatives that f- feed your imagination now. So besides besides music, do you have um, kind of create artist friends, or do you look kind of into pop culture? What are you feasting on at the moment? Um, yeah. Well, I always like um, reality TV. <laughs> oh yeah. What's your what's your um, guilty or not so guilty pleasure? Uh, Married at first sight. Okay. Um, yeah, I like all those dreadful programs. Um, and to be honest, it's really for me. It's really basic. I just my walk from work to my studio just informs everything because it's uh, this road is just uh, wild. There's every 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 journey. It's like eight minutes from to be precise from door to door, and there's so much action. <laughs> Could you describe it for us? What kind of action is is uh, feeding you? Um, well, it's just like a sort of busy um, sort of high street. Uh, so, um, and then there's East Street Market, which um, leads onto it. So you get loads of sort of um, uh, actions overspill from the market always. Um, just loads of crazy characters, really exciting characters. Um, it's really, yeah, it's really good. It's sort of, um, it's very grounding as well. It's sort of, mm. you know, it's like, wow, you can, you know, there are people that are obviously really struggling and it, it always sort of makes me, um, I find it very humbling. Mm. You know, I'm like so fortunate. What am I doing? Like skipping back and forward to my studio like a ponce. <laughs> one way of describing it <laughs> I think it, I love the fact that you want to stay grounded and um, you know it does sound like you are very grateful for your ability to do what you want but it also sounds like you've worked really hard to create that space for yourself in life to be somebody who can choose what to do what they want mm. yeah I mean like to a point I mean yeah no I'm no, I'm lucky, but I've got to keep on my toes. Definitely. Oh, and and what does that mean, Julie? 
um, well, you know, where's the next job coming from? I see. Yeah. yeah. So is that one of the biggest challenges for you in uh, your current season of your creative career? Oh, always. I mean, mm. always. Um, it's not like I've ever sort of planned anything out. It's just been from one hustle to the next. Um, yeah. But, you, you've yeah. had different seasons where you've had more money and then less money. So in yeah. the season that you're in at the moment, what are the core contributors to your income generation? Um, or my teaching yeah. remains stoic. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm not in the best place financially, but that's fine. I'm sort of, I can manage just, you know, it's, it's okay. I know it's, there's always something around the corner. Yes. You know, and like to, commissions, is that part of a, something that comes uh, to you? So like the, the, the ID. Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, I've, in the fashion world, I'm, you know, who's going to employ a mid fifties woman that's less attractive. So that's fine. And I totally understand why. <laughs> So, uh, so, but you've that, had incredible collaborations, haven't you, in the yeah, past yeah. where you've done things for Topshop and you've made some beautiful wallpaper and you've, um, your designs have kind of been on incredible sort of interiors and as well as sort of fashion. Um, but you've also shown with galleries and participated in Freeze Art Fair, for example. So, what's something? For those artists who don't want to be um, burdened by one particular way of earning an income and who want to have an interesting and fruitful and rewarding kind of career, um, but not necessarily go down the sort of a straightforward path, what would you say, what advice would you give them to help them keep keep going? Well, um, that's a biggie. Um, oh, I don't know what you do. You just um, tits and teeth. T so <laughs> 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 <I'm being> <laughs> Brilliant, tits and teeth. Okay, yeah, great. I love that. I like that. It reminds me of the um, someone describing your or you describing your drawing as uh, all fur coat and no knickers, mm. which yeah. is uh, a saying. Certainly in the Midlands and the North of England, mm -hmm. they used to say about women. Um, mm. It's interesting. So there's something about um, being showman-like, like so being prepared to hustle. Is that what you mean? So being able to. Which is dreadful. I mean, it's a dreadful thought. Um, no, I'm just, uh, yeah, I suppose the shoe busy thing. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just, because for me, there's like no alternative. So, you know, mm. there, you know, I, so it's, I kind of, it's difficult to offer advice because it's kind of, you've just, you've got to really want it. Yes. Um, I think it's quite basic. And I think people see through, the sort of more sort of fakery, you know, mm. um, but that, um, that's not very helpful, is it? So, yeah, like I say, I don't allow, I don't allow um, 
space in my brain for doubt or um you know, I try and that's why I try and f- fill my time I don't because if I allow that moment of thought that's when I start to wobble so yeah I think that um it's a really interesting way of coming at confidence I oh. think Julie just that no space for doubt mm-hmm. and I think I was thinking about that just yesterday how I think lots of creatives mistake this idea of um, doing difficult things with confidence and I think there is uh, the thing that leads most creative successful creatives although I know you wouldn't describe yourself like that but I think if you can choose what you want to do in life I think that's an incredible success so uh, I think you've inspired a lot of people because of that Uh so but I think that as you've illustrated so nicely it's that your curiosity and sometimes desperation led you to make some decisions on the fly Uh and then hard work grit and determination backed it up yeah absolutely and then that commitment that durational commitment for a period until Uh you realized it wasn't that Mm-hmm. And then you go on to the next thing and you do that until you learn as much as you can and you learn on the fly. And then you realize, nope, it's not that. I'm yeah. going to go and try something new. Yeah. In a way, you know, I feel that I've, I have come to art as such as quite late, but um, I'm kind of happy that I went through my early years um, not knowing that because I was just, I just, yeah, I just got on just got on with it and then it sort of arrived kind of yeah just yeah. arrived such an interesting way of looking at it so i i work with lots of um people who come back to art or you know I, that they like you describe it in that way well, my perspective my for what it's worth would be that you were always an artist and you've always been an artist but you're one like we're sort of one creative creature that is always in flux we're always developing we're always finding new things but I Mm. think there's a spirit that you know was probably in your uh, those days that actually where you were making yourself into an experiment in an early stage at school or at college you know you're experimenting with the body with the self Mm. as a as a kind of way of thinking through and seeing the world you know that's kind of exemplifying an artistic tendency you know, uh-huh. so it comes in lots of different forms. But for me, the fundamental difference between art and design, I suppose, is that there's a part of a process of not knowing, uh-huh. you know, and that that committing to a process of not knowing what it is. Yeah. Is is really important to getting to something that's almost more unusual, more exciting, more you know, surprising than you'd anticipated at the start. Yeah, no, I love those moments of discomfort when I don't really know what I'm doing and it looks pretty awful or strange. And I'm like, ooh, I'm not sure about this. And I'm, I kind of know that I have to keep pursuing it because I, f- I feel that there must be change afoot. And because yeah. I get so sort of bored with my own work and I like, I want it to look like something else and it never does. And so when I have these moments when I'm like not sure about it, that's when I, f- you know, a couple of days later, I feel happy, happier. Yeah. 
I think that's so good. There's something about um, allowing ourselves to stay in that slightly uncomfortable place where you're flirting with the risk of it being shit Mm. and just, you know, just dancing with it for a bit and saying this might go somewhere and I'm prepared to do it. Um, yeah but again who who's to judge who who says it's shit <laughs> yeah here here that's what i love about it it's so it's just there's no rules are there, there are no rules there are no rules that really? is quite true and yeah. i think that is a p- f- perfectly fitting way for us to draw a conversation to a close yeah. here here for no rules and here's yeah. to a future of keep carving out your own path, Julie, and inspiring us all. So thank you so much for um, this fantastic and long conversation. I could talk to you forever. So thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. Sorry to whittle on. <laughs> no, no <laughs> apology necessary. <laughs> Thanks so much, Julie. If people wanted to find out more about you, Julie, where would they go? Um, yeah, I'm most active on Instagram, uh, and my website's really out of date, but I will be getting on the case soon on that. But yeah, Instagram, I'm quite lively. And it's uh, Julie Verhoeven, which is V-E-R-H-O-E-V-E-N for those people who are hunting you out online. So we'll put those notes in the, in the show notes for everybody. And uh, yeah, thanks again, Julie. Yeah, no, thank you. Please follow and share the podcast. It helps us to support more brilliant creatives like you. Recommend future guest suggestions in your reviews. They might well become part of our show. Thanks for being part of our creative community. Until next time.